Hello and welcome to the Vaccine Challenge. Our mission is to speed up the distribution of the COVID-19 vaccine by bringing to light all of the supply chain and distribution challenges involved with this mega task and by connecting the various stakeholders that can benefit from working together. I'm Priyanka and today we're in conversation with Bill Kia, the Director of the Institute for Supply Chain Development or ISCD. ISCD provides leading edge supply chain training for health professionals working in low resource environments. ISCD has completed projects for clients including UNICEF, Village Reach, USAID, the Gavi, others. One of the things that's been top of mind for us here at the Vaccine Challenge has been the inequitable distribution of vaccines globally. Where countries like the US and UK have managed to vaccinate over 50% of their population, there are countries in Africa that have yet to hit the 1% mark. Today, we talked to Bill about issues around vaccine distribution in countries with low income, low resources, and not a very sturdy infrastructure. And how do they grapple with this challenge head on? We also talk about what is going to change in the world of vaccine distribution as a result of this pandemic. Hi there, Bill. It's so lovely to be chatting with you today. Thank you so much for taking out the time. To kick things off, I'd love a quick introduction to yourself. Sure, sure. Uh, well, my name is Bill Keogh. I'm currently the director of the Institute for Supply Chain Development. This is an organization that creates sort of leading edge online training, specifically for populations who are working in the healthcare space in lower and middle income countries. Um, I'm also a professor at the University of Washington, I developed a supply chain transportation logistics master's program there. Uh, that's an online program that uses live uh, live interaction. So taking that same kind of concept and trying to uh, use it to strengthen supply chains in uh, developing countries. That's amazing. That's really interesting. Inequitable access to vaccines and healthcare in general is a huge problem globally. And we've had a lot of conversation about, you know, vaccine distribution challenges from the point of view of countries that do have the resources and a solid infrastructure. Given your background, I'd love to hear what are some of the basic challenges in countries that don't have enough resources or an infrastructure to support vaccine drives? Sure. Well, <clears throat> you've seen some of the challenges that exist in more, you know, in, in the United States, for example. And the United States is a pretty good infrastructure, pretty good technology infrastructure, good cold chain infrastructure. For some of the lower and middle income countries, maybe specifically in Africa, but this is true pretty much everywhere. This is sort of an unprecedented challenge, right? Um, you know, you have, you know, in some instances, sort of remote populations, uh, infrastructure that, uh, you know, makes things difficult in terms of uh, logistics. And so, you know, I think there's a there's a couple of elements, maybe four elements. I would say the first one is coordination. So being able to map out a solid plan of what supply are we going to have. What sort of demand do we have? Where does the demand exist? And then how do we move this stuff from the airport, for example, in Kinshasa out to the point of use that might be a clinic in a village, it might be a hospital, that sort of thing. And this is essentially a supply chain problem. We've seen this with the, the PPE to, to kick things off, but with the vaccine, it's more complex, right? Because the vaccine has a limited life where a box of masks can sit there uh, for a long time. So I think sort of coordinating uh, the supply chain operations. And then I think the sort of the people to do the actual work 
this seems like kind of a no-brainer, but a lot of the the funding so far for this effort has primarily been around buying the vaccines and getting the vaccines to the places where they need to be used. Uh, with some assumption that, well, the, you know, the existing infrastructure will be able to handle this, right? You know, they do measles. So, you know, COVID is just sort of the same thing. Um, and it's very much not the same thing, right? The, the sort of surge in supply chain capacity that's needed here uh, is enormous. And what's been funded mostly so far is, you know, as I said, the actual procurement of the vaccine. There's a care came out with a report that said for every dollar a country or a donor invests in doses of vaccine, they need to invest $5 in delivering the vaccine. <laughs> and so that money, half that money is for, you know, actual workers to do the vaccinations, to train them, et cetera. And so a lot of that money is just not there at the moment. And so that's a, that's an issue. The other one is sort of in terms of the logistics infrastructure, you know, some of the places, a lot of the places in, especially in sub-Saharan Africa, the, you know, the road infrastructure is just not, not good, right? And you have the rainy season in the spring and the fall, um, and that makes things even more challenging. So, you know, the other thing is, you know, you take the stuff from the, from the capital where it comes in, usually you fly it to the districts and then from there it needs to be distributed by road. Um, and the last mile sometimes is like by bicycle or by motorcycle. Wow. So it's, it's challenging. It's, it's a lot different than, uh, than the way things exist, you know, in other places in the world. Wow, that is complex on top of complex. Uh, you know, getting the vaccines to such a large population is a problem in and of itself. Then add to that, take infrastructure and a bunch of these other problems just make it really, just makes it really just complicated. I mean, let's make this tangible then. You mentioned Africa. You've obviously done a bunch of work with African countries for their distribution efforts. Maybe if we can talk one of them, you know, take your pick. Can you share some constraints and challenges they have to work with any one African country that you work with? Sure. Um, so <clears throat> uh, all the all the African countries have sort of some similar challenges, I would say. One place we've done a lot of work is in the DRC, the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And this is a country that's the size of Western Europe. I mean, it's a little hard to fathom, but I mean, in the <laughs> middle of the in the middle of the yeah. continent, this is this massive country. And we did some work there. Uh, this was last fall, I think, when they were receiving an influx of like 700 pallets of PPE. And this is a large amount of stuff to come in anywhere. And so the issue was, well, how do we how do we receive this stuff? How do we distribute it? Because you you know you're not going to deliver a pallet of masks to a clinic in a village, right? So you have the the problem where you have to receive this stuff and. The way their supply chain works in a lot of these countries, it's like four tiers. So there's the national level, it goes from there to the district level, to the provincial level, down to the actual point of use. And any supply chain that has four tiers like that, it's complicated and it can be kind of slow. And we put together these videos, we work in multiple languages. So we put together some short videos in French to help the people who are on the ground understand what's the right approach to do this, right? You get the stuff you, you know, in Kinshasa, you bring it to the national warehouse, then you sort of break it, you kit it, and then it gets flown to, you know, Bandaka, which is kind of 
for example, upriver. Um, and then from there, it gets distributed by, by road. And, you know, that's, that's a big, a big challenge, obviously, just because of the, the timing of it. And, you know, with PPE, it's one thing with the vaccine, uh, it's some, something very different. One of the, one of the other challenges you see there is, you know, there are still other health needs, right? I mean, in DRC, there's a measles outbreak. And so this needs to be done on top of all that normal uh, <laughs> vaccination work. And, you know, so, and a lot of the supply chains are a little bit stretched now, just doing the regular work just because of, uh, you know, ultimately a lack of funding over the last, you know, 10, 15 years. So this whole idea of laying all this new work on top of it, how is that going to, you know, how is that going to work? Are they going to go on the same trucks? Are they going to go on different trucks? There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of challenges there uh, around how to distribute this stuff. Uh, the other thing I think, uh, and this is not true just in the DRC, but <clears throat> sort of the flow of information, right? Um, you know, how many people in some particular village even need to be vaccinated in the first place, right? Is it 1,000? Is it 2,000? And so how many doses do I need to bring there? And from a supply chain point of view, like the ideal model is sort of a, you know, the demand signal pulls the product, right? So you go okay. on Amazon and you order whatever you order, and that's the demand signal. And then Amazon knows to deliver you one of this within this amount of time. Um, in a lot of these countries, it's very much of a push model. So I have a large quantity of these and I just push them out to the endpoints. And you know, if it's not enough, then I guess I'll push them more. But the feedback coming from there, uh, it's, it's very spotty. Uh, you know, some of these places, they'll use Excel to manage inventory. And some of them, they'll do it on a piece of paper. And so in that wow. instance, it's hard to get the information back to the you know national level where things can be planned. Oh gosh, this is this is unimaginable levels of complexity. It's interesting that you obviously talk about PPE distribution because that's you know a precursor to what the supply chain or distribution network setup is. But then of course, like you mentioned, throw in vaccine distribution to the mix and then the fact that temperature excursions can't happen and the cold chain. Can you maybe talk through what the supply chain setup is for COVID-19 vaccine distribution. Sure. So as I mentioned, and the cold chain thing is a big deal, right? <laughs> I mean, the U.S. or Europe, obviously, there are more established kind of cold chain distribution models. Um, a lot of money has been allocated, you know, along with the vaccines to try to maintain this, uh, you know, this cold chain infrastructure. But as I mentioned earlier, right, the supply chain is sort of this four tier. In some countries, there's more than four tiers. Um, and it takes a lot of time, right, to, to use that model. So the stuff comes into the national, it goes to the district, it gets put away, it gets picked, it gets sent to the, you know, the, uh, the next level down, it gets put away, it gets picked. And all that time is time that the vaccine, right, the, the life of it is, is shortening. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's, that's one of the, one of the big challenges and also at a lot of the points of use and some of them, there, there is no, there is no capability to keep the vaccine cold beyond the container it's delivered in. So it's got to be used really, really fast. 
And I think Gavi, which is the Vaccine Alliance, I, I believe it was they put out a report where the assumption was that the waste will be 10%. And 10% is a lot. If you think about, you know, 1.7 million doses or something, that's a lot of people who aren't getting aren't getting vaccinated. Um, in reality, sometimes I think it's it's higher than that. But that's a function of just trying to operate within the within the infrastructure that exists. You can't turn it. Uh, into something really sophisticated overnight. It's just not possible. Yeah, absolutely. You know, with lack of resources, a lot of times what does happen is there are interesting or creative initiatives that come up as a result of it. Are there any examples of any of those in the DRC where it's like, oh, wow, that's a neat solution you just wouldn't have thought of? Yeah, yeah, no, no, definitely. Um, I do a lot of work with an NGO called Village Reach. They're actually based here in Seattle where, uh, where I live. And they've been focused on last mile vaccine distribution uh, for many, many years. And as anybody who knows about the supply chain, the last mile actually getting the product to the person who's going to consume it is actually quite complicated and it's very expensive. Bringing things from one distribution center to another or to a Costco or something is far less costly than getting the product actually to an individual person. And so a Village Reach has always been this very innovative, forward-looking, uh, you know, forward-looking organization. And they started a program. Program, I think it was in 2019, uh, to do drone delivery of vaccines out to remote areas uh, in the DRC. And this has turned out to be really successful. I think they have, you know, some of these journeys that would take three hours are now accomplished in 20 minutes. And so that whole idea, you know, that sort of leapfrogs the infrastructure problem, right? The same way you've yeah. seen in some developing countries where there were no phones, and then there's a mobile phone network, but there was never really a landline network. This is sort of the same thing, kind of a creative solution to, to solving that problem. They've also established, you know, WhatsApp is really widely used in a lot of countries in Africa, and that's true in the, the DRC too. They've established this, I think it's called Alert Santé, uh, where people can, you know, get sort of real-time accurate information about the situation, the vaccine, et cetera by using this, uh, this mobile app. Because one of the problems, obviously, is this sort of vaccine hesitancy. And I mean, this is going on everywhere in the world, right? Okay. There are rumors about this and that. Is it safe? Right. That kind of thing. So yeah, those, those are a couple of, uh, couple of examples of uh, innovative initiatives. That's cool. I mean, doing it by drones is one example, and it may may not possible in other countries. Do these interesting and unique ideas get shared and used in other countries with similar challenges? Like how can we make sure that cross-border knowledge transfer actually happens? Because this is very much a global collective challenge. Yeah, and I think to some extent, the whole funding environment um, is very much country focused, right, which makes a certain amount of sense. I mean, the situation in Mozambique is different than the situation in the DRC. And the way the model works a lot of there's there's different different approaches. One could be around a specific initiative like USAID has a couple of really major initiatives that they're funding over the next five years, something like that. Um, but there are also models where the Ministry of health gets a certain bucket of money and there are implementing partners who sort of you know, provide some insight about what might be the right way to uh, you know to use use those funds to get the outcomes they need i don't know that there's a really formal 
uh, information sharing infrastructure. A lot of the implementing partners in Village Reach being one of them, they're working in multiple countries. So they do know, for example, we're doing drones in the DRC, you know, what would that look like in a different country? <clears throat> so I would say that's from, from the, you know, there isn't any other formal infrastructure beyond the implementing partners talking about what they do. Uh, one of the things we've done is we've created a number of training programs for organizations like that who have people all over the, you know, say the continent in Africa, for example. And, you know, there's asynchronous training, but there's also these live classes over the internet. And it's interesting because it ends up providing a really interesting environment for somebody in Algeria, for example, to start sharing information about how they solve a problem with somebody in in Senegal, because a lot of them share the same problems, the same challenges, and sometimes one has come up with a sort of innovative solution, and in that way, you know, someone else in another country can hear about it. That's so cool, and that's so heartening. Uh, one of the things that I was actually reading earlier today was the COVAX initiative, and given that you work in developing countries, you know this better than anyone else, how inequitable access to vaccines is in developing countries, right? Can you can you share a little bit more about what COVAX does? Are they the buyers of vaccine? How exactly do they even aim to solve this problem? Yeah, this was an initiative early on. I believe it was it was uh, led by <clears throat> Gavi, which is based in I believe they're based in Geneva, but they're a global organization that's very much focused on on this, right, on the distribution of vaccines equitably in places that might not be as well served uh, otherwise. And they realized early on, right, we, we're going to have to secure uh, a supply of these because a lot of these countries, they may not have the money uh, to be able to step up and, and, you know, buy things the way, you know, Canada might, for example. And I think I read something where Canada has, you know, far more doses than they have actual people. Um, <laughs> Where in a lot of these other countries, it's the exact opposite problem, right? So what COVAX tried to do, and I think it's like 191 countries, this is a very large number of countries, to secure a large pipeline of this stuff to be able to deliver it to lower and middle income countries to start to get their populations vaccinated. And that piece is fantastic. But I mean, as we talked earlier, that's just that's a solution to just part of the problem, right? The actual on-the-ground distribution of the vaccine uh, is where things become difficult. But that was the, the concept, right? To secure vaccines for countries that might not have access otherwise. Absolutely. I guess the other question too that I have is in the DRC specifically, or even in Africa, which are some of the key players, key logistics players that make this possible? Is, the, is it the UPS and DHLs of the world to charge in other countries? Or are there any regional players that actually step up and play a huge role in vaccine distribution? So, I mean, it used to be, I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of 3PL. It's a third-party logistics provider. Mm -hmm. um, this is somebody who will say, I'll handle your transportation. If you want, I'll handle your warehousing. I yeah. have a, you know, information in structure to, to, you know, provide visibility. And it used to be in Africa, that kind of wasn't a thing. More recently, that has developed as a business that, you know, some companies are involved in. There's only a handful of them that are sort of deployed across uh, Africa. I would say for the most part though, the way the stuff is being distributed is leveraging the same distribution network that exists right now. 
And, you know, we, we talked about that earlier, right? If you're used to delivering a hundred of something and suddenly you have to deliver 3000, that puts a real, a real strain on things. So, and the other thing is a lot of the aid organizations have distribution networks that run parallel to one another right? So one aid organization has this way of distributing things. Another organization might be distributing a different product to the exact same places, but there isn't this sort of coordinated effort to say, hey, could we all put this on the same truck or on the same plane? And I think partly it's due to the complexity of organizing that. It's challenging enough to organizing to do it for one organization, um, but there's a real opportunity there, it seems to me. Absolutely. It's just amazingly complex stuff, isn't it? Do you remind, you know, if you have any numbers of like, if you had to make a prediction of, you know, the timeline by when the whole world will be vaccinated, do, would you want to take a shot at by when do you think that actually is going to be possible? That's a good question. If I had to take a guess, I, I think it could take five years, even with a even with a really focused, coordinated effort. And the five years is not because of the production of the vaccine, right? It's the stuff we've been talking about, getting it to individual people. So I, I don't know if that's a pessimistic guess or not, <laughs> but that's you asked me to <laughs> to throw something out. That's that's what I'll throw out. Oh gosh, <laughs> I see what you mean though. It's complex, it's got to get everywhere. It's got to get to every last person, right? And it's challenging. I mean, I'd hopefully personally like to think it'd be a little bit less than five years, but only time's going to say. We we talked about vaccine distribution in general. This is perhaps going to be my final question. COVID, COVID-19 vaccine is one vaccine that needs to be distributed. But of course, once this pandemic kind of settles in or settles down and or once it's behind us, there's still going to be other vaccines that have to be distributed. Do you think that anything's going to change in the world of vaccine distribution in low-income countries in the future as a result of this global pandemic? I would very much hope so, because you know this is going to require an unprecedented level of funding to sort of achieve the objectives that need to be achieved here. And in order to do that, they're going to require some new efficiencies, uh, I would imagine. And hopefully that and sort of this more robust infrastructure that's going to need to be put in place hopefully that will that will sort of improve outcomes for the people who are you know who are the actual recipients of this stuff i do think one really big opportunity it's a challenge but is this whole idea of data collection and analysis and you know on the on the endpoints right that that's where the information exists so for example, some vaccine, how many do I have? Like, when will they expire? And the stuff that expires is actually really expensive because not only are you throwing away something that had to be manufactured, delivered, stored, but also there's all this cost for destroying it in a way that's, uh, that's safe. So I think taking a look at specific metrics, like even waste, right? If you can take a look at that metric and have actual data from the endpoints, uh, then if you have a baseline, you know, I mean, this is true if, you know, I do consulting work with organizations. This is true with anything. You need a baseline to start with, and then you need to drill into how could we improve this? I think even just having some standardized method of handling inventory at the endpoints, and then a way to roll that up 
uh, to the national level to be able to make decisions would be really powerful. I mean, the lack of the lack of information infrastructure, internet access, that sort of thing. Uh, these are challenging things, but you know, in some countries, they're taking the Excel sheet, saving it onto USB, giving it to somebody who in turn literally drives it to somewhere else where it gets rolled up into a larger spreadsheet. And then sooner or later, it gets entered into the LMIS system of the, of the country at a national level. Part of the challenge with that is that model then it's a reporting system, right? It's not a system you use to make decisions because the data, the data is old. Yeah. Um, but at, at this point, even having complete data, uh, complete accurate data, if there could be a push in that direction, I think that could make that could make a real a real difference in terms of getting more results for each dollar that gets spent. Absolutely. Is is tracking and tracing vaccines? in not necessarily real time, but by using technologies like sensors and stuff like that at all a thing in Africa yet. It's obviously, you know, just like tracking of drugs in general is a requirement in a lot of the countries in the West. Do you think something like that catching on or do you think it might be overkill for the kind of infrastructure they have and where they are? No, I mean, it's pretty important, right? Because if the thing is expired, it can have very bad effects or if it got to be too warm. Uh, I know in some countries they are deploying solutions where, you know, there's a tag that turns a certain color yeah. if it, it is no longer usable. Um, and that's kind of a good solution, right? It's relatively straightforward. Um, it's, you know, it's not like having RFID tags on, right. on things, you know, uh, on shipments, that sort of stuff, which might be appropriate uh, in some place with maybe a more developed IT infrastructure. Yeah, gotcha. That makes sense. Well, it has been so lovely chatting with you. I know a lot of the conversations that I have usually tend to be in countries that have different kind of challenges. Um, but like, you know, a lot of the infrastructure that they have is taken for granted. And it's um, it's it's quite interesting to hear, you know, how countries that don't have that kind of infrastructure still manage to get, you know, the number of people they get vaccinated, vaccinated. And obviously a lot of effort from all kinds of different organizations and associations uh, like Gavi or Village Reach 2 that you mentioned doing some amazing stuff in order to somewhat equalize access. So thank you so much for taking out the time to chat with me, Bill. It's been really, really interesting. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. That is it for today from us at the Vaccine Challenge. We continue to work towards our mission of bringing to light all of the supply chain and distribution challenges that can help speed up the distribution of the COVID-19 vaccines world over. If you're doing anything worthwhile in this space, have any suggestions of who you should talk to or any other ways that we can improve the podcast, please write to us at contact us at thevaccinechallenge.com. Until then, stay safe, stay responsible. This is us signing off from The Vaccine Challenge.